The text for the message this morning is Philippians, from Philippians chapter 1, the first 11 verses. Page 980. Hear the word of the Lord. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, as Paul is in prison, probably in Rome, awaiting his trial, the decision concerning his actions, how he would be treated, a, wit a visitor came in to, to see him, and, and Paul was excited. He recognized the man. It was Epaphroditus who had come to him from Philippi, and he came as a messenger and minister to Paul's needs. You can read about that in chapter 2, verse 25, chapter 4, verse 18. And Paul is overjoyed with the gift. And wrote, when he wrote a letter in return, he told the church of Christ in Philippi that he always was remembering them and praying for them. The letter that Paul wrote is still being read in the churches today, it's in fact in the Bible that you're holding in your hand this morning. The letter to the saints in Philippi remains an important letter in the churches today, not only for the words of the inspired apostle, but also for the way it models the strong bond that Christ forges with the members of his local congregations through the servants that he sends. The letter of, to the Philippians is a window into the love of Christ Jesus for his church through his pastors. It's a window that describes the strength of the bonds between a missionary and the congregation he plants, the intense relationship between pastors and, and the flock in which they are laboring. 
The letter to the Philippians shows how wonderfully God responded to the prayer of our Lord Jesus Christ that was also displayed on the wall as you came in this morning, that, that prayer, that the love of God the Father for his Son may be in them, may be in the church, and God's Son in us. And every time we study the letter, we need to remember that Philippians was written at a specific moment in the history of Revelation when the apostles were still planting churches so that uh, at the same time we, we need to recognize that there isn't a very big distance between the congregation in Philippi and the church today. It's written in a specific time in history, but we'll see that there's a lot of similarities to our situation. You see the letter is addressed to an established congregation in a local, uh, in a city, in a local place. It's also a congregation that was gathered after the ascension of Jesus Christ. And so they know a lot of the same things we, uh, they knew a lot of things we know today. They have a very similar spiritual life and calling and an expectation of the return of Jesus Christ that is very similar to ours today. Although today Paul is not in a prison anymore because he has died, his reaction to his suffering continues to instruct us, as well as his exhortations, his prayers, and his thanksgiving for the congregation of Jesus Christ. And this relationship continues to serve as a model of how Christ relates to each one of us today as members of a local congregation. And I preach to you this gospel, Christ forges a special bond between his ordained servants and his sheep. And we will see his servants' task among the congregation, his servants' cooperation with the congregation, and his servants' prayer for the congregation. When we go to Acts, we see the background to the letter to the Philippians, Paul, Silas, and Timothy were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to go into Asia and then prevented by the Spirit of Christ to go into Bithynia and driven down to Troas. And then they were called by the Lord to Macedonia through a vision in the night. And so it happened that after they picked up Luke, the apostle and his com uh, companions, they set sail from Troas, they went to a port city named Neapolis, and then they walked up one of those big Roman roads, probably about 14 feet across, nicely tiled with, with the, with the, the uh, sorry, only the word in cobblestone. I had Portuguese in my head, sorry. The cobblestones on the road all the way up to, to Philippi, and when they got into the city, they had to go through a mountain pass. There was a big marshy field. The road went right over that. They went through the archway and they headed into the city. And then Acts tells us, Acts 16 verse 12, it was a leading city in the district of Macedonia. It was a Roman colony. It was a city founded by King Philip, the father of Alexander the Great. And, and here there was a, a plain. And on that plain, it's sort of the Philip. Philippians' claim to fame. That's where Octavius and Antonius, they avenged Julius Caesar's death by killing 
Brutus and Cassius. You don't have to remember all the names, but what we do need to remember is that the people in Philippi were Roman Romans. They were Roman to the core. They were the ones who defended, uh, who defeated the, the uh, rebels, and they defended the emperor. They were the patriots of Rome, and Philippi was their, their mini-Rome. Here, Roman soldiers retired. They enjoyed the rewards of their Roman citizenship. They ruled as kings of the slaves of the imperial conquest, and they worshipped their emperor as a benefactor, as if he was a god. And the Spirit of Christ clearly sent the missionaries of his eternal kingdom to plant the first church on the European soil in Philippi, the mini Rome of the East. And as Paul is there in prison and he's, he's writing this letter to the congregation, real people in that real city in Europe, he had a lot of memories of his first experience. You can see that in verses 3 to 4 or 3 to 5. I thank God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer for you, making my prayer with, with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Yes, Paul could remember all, the, all that we read about in, in Acts 16, how he met Lydia outside the city at the place of prayer, that annoying spirit who was driving that young fortune teller slave girl to chase Paul and Silas and to discredit his work, the, the, the beatings they had received, the stocks in the prison, the conversion of the jailer after the earthquake, the, and then the Roman authorities eating crow and apologizing because of their mistake when they discovered that Paul was a Roman city, a citizen. And then before he, he sent them out of, the, the Romans sent them out of the city, Paul still says, well, I'm going to go visit Lydia first. And he goes and he visits Lydia and he visits the brothers. You can see there was a little congregation already in Acts 16, verse 40. And then he visited them again in his third missionary journey. And now in his prison in Rome, he could write to them as an established congregation. What special memories they had together. How it was right at the beginning, the, 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 the fights they had uh, with, with, the, with their enemies. How they were attacked, but how they had stuck together. And those special memories that living together through hardships created a close bond between the pastor and his congregation. And we can see why Paul begins his letter with those memories and, and thanking God in all his remembrance of the saints in Philippi. And there's no doubt in anyone's mind that Paul was nothing so great in himself, but he was an instrument in the hands of the ascended Lord and Master. Although in other letters he often mentions specifically that he was an apostle sent from Christ Jesus, this was not necessary in his letter to the Philippians. They knew very well how Christ had directed him there, forbidden him to go one place, forbidden him to go to another, only to Philippi. And the word servant in verse 1 that Paul does use can be translated slave. It, it captures 
Paul's submission to Christ's will as Christ's slave and also his desire to be a faithful instrument of his risen Lord. And although Timothy and Paul had different offices and different tasks, they were equal before Christ. And to emphasize this, Paul identifies Timothy and himself as slaves or servants. And this is the only time he does that in all his letters. The spirit of humility before Christ that, that re resides among all those who are involved in the pastoral care and the leadership of the church of Jesus Christ. It is the task of ordained servants to represent the lordship of Christ Jesus, of the good shepherd, in the midst of the saints among whom they have been placed according to the specific will of God. You see, Christ Jesus brings shepherds, pastors, and ordained servants and his sheep together so that his lordship can be known in the congregations he establishes. And after the apostles and the evangelists had preached the gospel, their teaching continued to be proclaimed and applied through the work of overseers and deacons mentioned in verse 1. Paul addresses the whole congregation, first mentioning all the saints in Christ Jesus, and then among and with them the overseers and deacons, those who had been appointed to continue to manifest Christ's pastoral care in the local congregation. The word overseer, one who supervises, who sees over, the supervisor, the overseer, is synonymous with the word presbyter or elder and refers to the leaders that we call elders or pastors today. The deacons were busy with the ministry of mercy. They were serving at tables. And since they both are addressed specifically in a letter of thanksgiving and instruction for the whole congregation, it would appear that the overseers and deacons cooperated in sending the gift of Epaphroditus to the Paul and, to the, and, and uh, also the gift, of, uh, the gift to him in prison. They were cooperating together to take care of Paul. And with this reference to overseers and deacons, we see that the Holy Spirit commends and confirms the role of elders and deacons in the local congregation as responsible to carry on the work of the apostles. The bond that the apostle feels towards the church that he planted is the same bond that all Christ's ordained servants have with the members of the congregation that they are called to lead and to serve. And although we know that the nature of that relationship and the task of Christ's servants in the midst of the congregation, it's always changing, involving both planting and watering, we can see by Paul's words that this letter to the Philippians presents the relationship between an established congregation of believers 
and their pastors. It serves as a model for the relationship between ordained servants in established congregations today. And the leaders in this congregation do well to notice the confidence of Paul with respect to the salvation of the congregation he is caring for. You see that in verse 6. In verse 6, he says that he is sure, he is convinced that God will carry this church to glory in the day of Christ. And in verse 7, he reiterates that it is right for him to feel this way about the whole congregation, about you all. Verse 6 is a central verse in this whole introduction, the promise that God will finish perfectly what he has started. That's what we sing about also in Psalm 138, stanza 4. The basis of the confidence underlying the whole relationship between ordained servants and their sheep is God's promise that he will bring to completion the work that he has started. And so pastors in established congregations are able to judge from the constancy of service God's providential care in starting a good work through conversion and the congregation's ongoing love for their neighbor, the pastors can be sure that the flock entrusted to their care are elect sheep who will persevere. Also today in their relationship to the saints, the ordained servants of Christ who are given positions of leadership can remember Romans 8 verse 30. Those whom God predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. When pastors serve godly Christian families and believers who are actively involved in an established congregation, they don't need to doubt the election and the perseverance of the saints they are ministering to. They are there to celebrate the work of Jesus Christ here on earth in a local congregation, we can say in the geographical region here of Emmanuel. And so the task of the pastor is to announce the good news and to guide and to accompany and to rejoice as the Spirit leads God's people to cooperate with one another to the furtherance of the kingdom. Philippians is a letter of celebration. We'll see this cooperation in the second point. When Christ's servants are ordained to serve in a faithful congregation, ministering to believers and their children, they will hold them in their hearts. You read about that in verse 7. I hold you in my heart. That holding in the heart continues today, brothers and sisters. If you ever have an opportunity to sit in a consistory meeting or a deacon meeting or they say like a, a fly on the wall, you would, you would see how much your overseers, your deacons truly love all the members of this congregation, babies, children, teenagers, adults, married, single, elderly, 
sick, struggling, wandering members. They're, they're constantly thought about, constantly remembered in prayer, constantly visited. Even in a congregation this size, your name is known. And all aspects of your situation are held in the hearts of Christ's ordained servants. That's how Christ shows his love to you today. That's, that's an amazing work of the Holy Spirit that we should not undermine or even attribute merely to human compassion. The Spirit makes the leaders he has chosen yearn for all the congregation in which they minister. And then verse 8 says, with the affection of Christ Jesus. The word that Paul uses for affection is a word that speaks of love that comes from the deep inside, right in the very seat of emotions. And that is why it's surprising that Paul says it's not really his affections, but those of Jesus Christ himself. Christ Jesus works through his servants so that they cannot help but looking at God's people as the beloved congregation of Jesus Christ. The teacher's love for the people of God gives credit to his doctrine. In the established congregation, office bearers are not the police force. They're not witnesses for your cause, whatever side it may be. They are simply called to let you feel the warmth of Christ's affections. Christ forges an emotional bond between his servants and his sheep. And as a result, the office bearers as well are carried along in their task by the willingness and the love and the prayers and the cooperation of the saints. The office bearers are also carried along by the saints. That cooperation is comparable to a marriage. And the well-being of the church depends on a partnership between the ordained servants and the rest of the saints. And Paul praises God because the congregation in Philippi responded to the gospel preaching with a readiness to partner with him in the gospel from the first day until long after he had left them and was imprisoned in Rome. You see, the only thing that outweighs the joy of ordained servants and all the saints, what we feel about the conversion or the public profession of faith, the only thing that outweighs that joy is the joy that we have over maturity of faith, over perseverance, over partnership in the gospel proclamation. We give a lot of attention to, to new conversions, to, to professions of faith, to, to initial growth. But you see how Paul here is rejoicing in the Lord over perseverance, over ongoing partnership. Paul explains the, the character of their partnership further 
In Philippians 1 verse 7, he says, I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and the confirmation of the gospel. And compare this with other letters. In other places, Paul expresses frustration at the need to constantly bottle feed God's people with milk. Galatians, he expresses frustration at the ease at which the newly planted churches were falling away from the truth in Jesus Christ. Here, he rejoices in the maturity of the congregation in Philippi, which was eager to take some initiative as they supported Christ's servants in their work. What a, what a joy for the ordained servants. And his, his joy and his thankfulness to God, that's a good reminder for us. It's a good reminder for us to, especially those who are content to always receive without finding ways to be active in supporting the proclamation of the gospel and the pastoral care of the congregation. Look at the joy of the apostle to see his congregation taking initiative, partnering with him in the proclamation of the gospel. And Paul's words to the Philippians, they, they show us the importance of supporting the servants that Christ sends to us, providing them with all their needs, taking part in the defense and the confirmation of the gospel. The Holy Spirit honored the congregation in Philippi with apostolic praise for their willingness to pay and to pray for God's servants, even as the preachers they were supporting were absent from the congregation and suffering persecution far away. He knew how much it cost the congregation to share in the proclamation of the gospel. He commends them for sharing in his imprisonment. And you know how they shared in his imprisonment. He was thinking about how they had sent Epaphroditus and had given him a gift to sustain Paul. He commends them for defending the faith against different attacks. You can imagine people were questioning them. They were standing firm. He, he commends them for confirming the gospel they had heard through their desire to live according to God's will. And what is striking in these verses is that Paul presents imprisonment and the need to defend the gospel and confirm the truth of their conviction, and they often confirm this with their lives. He refers to this persecution as the grace of God shown to him. He sees it as a privilege that he has received as an ordained servant. He is overjoyed that the people of God are willing to stand beside him, to dedicate their lives to the same truth, to not fear the attacks, to participate in the same grace. He sees the hand of God bringing their salvation to completion in their divine appointment to support 
the persecuted servants of Christ, to even suffer themselves for the sake of the gospel. You see, if they were willing to defend and confirm the gospel, that means they were willing to follow Christ Jesus even into conflict, even into persecution. They would see that as a grace, a gift. You think about that today, some of the news we heard this past week, presentation last night by word and deed about the situation in, in India. We think how Paul sees it. He says God deems some people in his church at some points in history he deems them worthy of suffering for him. Worthy of standing up for the truth. And when we are condemned and, and perhaps even punished from the government today for our desire to submit to God's word, when we are opposed for defending the lives of the vulnerable, when we are threatened personally or as churches together, God is showing us that he is entrusting us with a great responsibility. You see, not every generation has the opportunity to stand up like we do today. Paul says, you are privileged to share in this grace with me. And in order to share in this grace of suffering, the Christian needs much guidance from the Lord. And so servants pray for the congregation, for the sheep, Jesus Christ. Verse 4, Paul says, always remembering all the members of the congregation in every prayer. And then verses 9 to 11, he reveals what he is praying for them. It's, it's, it's still a model for the prayer of ordained servants for God's people. The first thing he, he prayed for the congregation was that their love might abound yet more and more. The original language includes the word yet more and more. The apostle recognized that the congregation was already displaying a lot of love. And still he asked God that the Lord, uh, asked the Lord that they might increase in love and continue to seek new opportunities to manifest their love. We can think in a situation of opposition that we were known as those who react always in love to whoever needs it. Love is a powerful message and witness to the truth that we have. And as Christ's ordained servants continue to pray for increasing love in the congregation, they are, the love they're asking for is also defined in, in our passage. It's love with knowledge and all discernment. That's at the end of verse 9. It's not just approving everything that anyone wants to do, but it's love that's guided by knowledge, by the, by the Word of God. It's accompanied by discernment. In light of the coming of, of Christ the judge, God's people need to have discernment so that they can approve what is excellent. That's in verse 10. And so the servants of Christ Jesus in this congregation also are, are praying that God's people may have wisdom Wisdom to stay focused on the main truths of the gospel and not to be tortured in their minds with all speculations. 
And in accordance with this prayer, ordained servants will seek to provide faithful preaching of the Word of God, good instruction, regular Bible studies, and spiritual instruction through the family visits that prayer for wisdom is accompanied with, with ongoing teaching and preaching. And so we have many opportunities to, to grow in our love and brothers and sisters understand that the ordained servants also in this congregation are constantly praying for that, this love, for this wisdom, and also for the fruit of righteousness. Having been declared righteous in Christ, the Holy Spirit makes us want to live according to all the commandments. And so we pray, may this congregation also love God and love their neighbor according to his word. We often say to one another, well, I'll pray for you. But what do we ask for when we say that? We can use the model that Paul has given here. Include, he urges us to include requests that God will help us to grow in love, to make wise decisions that fit with God's word, that the fruit of our faith in Jesus Christ will result in the glory and praise to God. And so it is that Jesus Christ shows his love to you through ordained servants cooperating together with congregation like a family with one goal and, and one purpose. Christ forges strong bonds that strengthen and empower the local congregations that are scattered all over the world. And so we look at our congregation here, and we look at our text, and we praise the Lord. We praise the Lord for the shared experiences between the pastors and the congregation. We can look back on years, reflect on the goodness of God and his providential care in our lives, the, the constancy of our love together, we can be thankful to God for bringing ordained servants and sheep together. We, we see it's the work of God who's brought office bearers and congregation together. And we praise God that we can celebrate the love in this congregation. We can praise him that we serve him as, as a body of Jesus Christ. As ordained servants, we, we thank God. We thank God that the brothers and sisters in this congregation are showing love to one another, eager to also cooperate in the ministry and the proclamation of the gospel and in the defense and the confirmation of the truth. What a blessing it is to love one another as ordained servants and sheep in that special bond of love and cooperation and constant prayer. You are a congregation that is in the very hearts of your ordained servants by the grace of God. By the grace of God, we may experience that close bond. And may the Holy Spirit give us eyes to see this as a gift of grace from our Father in heaven. 
so that we don't take it for granted, but that we receive it with thanksgiving and, and continue to foster and strengthen our bonds to one another. Ordained servants with the sheep, the sheep with the ordained servants, and, and all of us together to the glory of God and to the advance of his kingdom. Amen.